Welcome to today's online workshop and podcast presented by realestateinvestment.training and powered by imedialearning.com. My name is Shane Gillespie from iMedia Learning, and I'm the producer for today's event. Real estate investment.training online workshops, podcasts, and in-person continuing education symposiums educate real estate professionals, investors, and wealth managers through the sharing of best practices on the industry's most important topics and trends. During this event, you're welcome to ask questions using the questions feature in your GoToWebinar menu. Ask at any time, but please note we will address them during the Q&A session at the end. Before we start, we'd like to thank our corporate member association sponsors, Inland Securities, Seattle Funding Group, NAI Puget Sound Properties, Brighton Jones, Taylor Street Capital Partners, the Commercial Brokers Association, CCIM Institute Washington Chapter, and the Institute of Real Estate Managers for underwriting this event so it can be uh, presented to you free of charge. Joining us today is our panel moderator and real estate investment specialist, Derek Doak, CCIM. Joining Derek, our panelists, John Odegaard, president and senior partner of Seattle Funding Group, Nick Martinez, vice president of Taylor Street Capital Partners, and Daniel Petzold, AVP, commercial loan officer, Sound Community Bank. Derek, I'll turn the event over to you. All right. Thank you, Shane. Now you can take a breath. It, <laughs> it always amazes me how fast you can get through that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start timing it. Yeah, and I didn't mess up any names that time. <laughs> it's a good day. Okay, that's the podcast. Let's hang up. Um, all right. Well, today we're talking about finance, and uh, I'm I'm excited about the uh, the three panelists because I work with each one of them. Um, you know, I've worked with you know John. Geez, John, twenty year over twenty years. I think we've been working together uh, on projects, and then uh, and uh, you know and Daniel and Nick. I joined a team a couple of years ago working together with both of them. So I'm really excited about talking about finance updates how people can get financing and getting your guys' perspective on the market. So uh, first and foremost, I want to have each of you introduce yourself, uh, tell the audience a little about who you are and what you do. And I'll start out with you, Daniel. Perfect. Well, thanks, Derek. My name is Daniel Petzold. I'm a, a vice president of commercial lending at Sound Community Bank. I started with them in 2004, worked with them until 2012 left, uh, went and did uh, corporate banking for Key Bank for five years, and uh, was able to come back five years ago. So it's uh, we work as a, a small community bank based uh, in the Washington, Seattle, 206-425 area code areas. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, Nick, how about yourself? Yeah, my name is uh, Nick Martinez. I'm the vice president here at Taylor Street Capital Partners. I got my start in commercial real estate working um, underneath a an apartment syndicator uh, based out here in Arizona. And we had um, invested in properties and portfolios throughout the Western United States. I have been with Taylor Street um, for about five years. And to give you a, big, a brief background on who we are, you know, Taylor Street is a private commercial real estate financing company that specializes in uh, debt and equity placement throughout the Western U.S., you know, focusing mainly on Washington and Arizona. Uh, we, we mainly represent uh, private capital clients, so typically the, the $1 million to $20 million spaces where we operate, um, but can, can go higher than that, of course. But with our client base really consisting of various developers, uh, private partnerships, uh, family offices, and high net worth uh, individuals and real estate investors. Um, and simply put, you know, our focus is arranging debt financing for all commercial asset classes. So any project type, any property type, whether it be ground up construction or long term stabilized debt, uh, we provide access to the, the full capital market spectrum through our, I would say, over 300 lending relationships nationwide. Um, and, you know, really any any deal that comes through any situation, we we've probably been there before. So. We have experience in uh, almost any scenario and um, can, can help out um, in almost any transaction type. Perfect. Thanks, Nick. Uh, John, how about you? Uh, thanks. Uh, John Odegaard here, president of Seattle Funding Group. Uh, Seattle Funding Group's been around for quite a while, since 1988. Uh, we're a private direct portfolio lender. We don't sell our loans or broker loans. We don't even have a broker's license. For so, so we're just strictly a private private lender. We do a lot of uh, construction. We uh, do, uh, we're do we speed-based lender. So if you need to close in three weeks rather than three months, we're probably the ones you want to call. Our cost of funds are going to be probably a little bit better than most in the private money industry. Uh, we might not push leverage as high as some will, but we try to make it um, a fast and, and, and profitable transaction for everybody. 
involved. Um, we have offices in Solano Beach, California, Seattle, Washington, Bellevue, Washington, and Scottsdale, Arizona. We are West Coast lender only. We do quite a bit of business in Hawaii as well, ironically. Uh, so boutique builders gives us a lot of business. Um, entrepreneurs, real estate entrepreneurs who need to move quick, seize the moment, transition properties. That's that's who we are. We do uh, pretty much a deal a day just about now uh, and that kind of stuff. So that's what we're all about. Okay. No, that's great. And and, and the reason why I wanted to have these three individuals on the podcast today is because, um, one, I work with them. Uh, both them and their companies are, are great groups to work with. But like in John's situation, I use John if I need quick access to funds. I'm doing a project and I need to close quickly. I can get uh, I can get money. I don't, I don't have to give it more equity because uh, as most people know, I'm a syndicator and I bring in partners' money. Um, but if I can go out and get loans, it's a lot cheaper. Even if I got to pay a little higher interest rate, uh, but the speed at which I can get the funds are typically faster than going through the process, uh, you know, with the traditional lending institution. And then uh, Nick and I've worked together on. Uh, a fair amount of refinances and uh, acquisition type financing, long-term placement of, of funds. Um, although I know Nick does also uh, assist clients with getting access to quick funds, but uh, I work with Nick in that capacity. And then working with uh, Daniel uh, Sound uh, is where I use a credit facility and operations. So uh, a great local bank, personal relationships, uh, the way banking used to be. So um, I think it's a, a great mix and when we talk about financing and kind of the first question I want to throw out there is just to kind of, it's more of just getting your guys' opinion of where you think the market is based on the current type of funding that you do. So, um, you know, Daniel, I'm going to start with you. And when you think of what you're lending on now, uh, what your clients are asking for the type of financing, um, you know, maybe give me where sound is in the, uh, in the lending uh, environment and what are you seeing uh, out there uh, in the in the lending environment? Certainly. Well, I can see that uh, I can definitely tell you that people are definitely starting to pull their heads out um, and look around a little bit post-pandemic or at least getting towards the end of the pandemic. I think people are realizing that the future looks brighter than what they're thinking about six months ago. That the future is going to, you know, it, the that life is coming back a little more quickly than what we were thinking about the end of 2021. It's actually looking at to be the middle of 2021. So, Sound Community Bank's actively lending. Um, we're looking at a lot of multifamily projects. Um, we're looking at a lot of commercial type, uh, owner occupied uh, manufacturing um, in the, the downtown and the I 5 corridor. Um, I can tell you that a lot of banks, not only Sound Community Bank, are actively lending and looking. I think a lot of banks are well capitalized, and I think a lot of banks are also taking the focus of that things are looking to improve, and that there's going to be a lot of competition for lending in 2021. And then, uh, and, and when you, when you think of the the traditional uh, construction. Uh, way people are doing lending right now and at sound what where what's a typical deal look like uh, a typical deal uh, for all types of industries is that we can go to 80 percent loan to cost we try to keep it to 80 percent loan to value upon completion um, depending on the size of the project uh, it's a 12 or 18 month interest only facility that we look at uh, monthly draw requests are pretty standard. Um, and for fees and rates, we're only looking, we're a prime-based lender. So we're looking at prime plus one to 2% and anywhere between a one to one and a half percent fee, depending on uh, the type of construction project. So it's pretty standard. I, I can say that it's the same program that we were looking at before the pandemic. And it's the same uh, process that we're going to be moving forward to into 21 and 22. Yeah, well, that's good. And and Nick, I know you and I looked at a couple of deals that got a little squirrely, but one of the ones that was interesting is the banks requiring a reserve, you know, where they start seeing the banks start asking for, you know, they want to see six months or one year of prepayments set in reserve in order to close on the loans. Um, are you seeing them still requiring things like that? Or, or is that starting to loosen up a little bit now that we're starting to kind of slide out of the pandemic and and, uh, and and move into the next wave. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, every transaction, every every deal is different. Um, and 
depending on the transaction, um, different types of lenders can be appropriate for for that deal, right? But what we were seeing and still do see are you know more long term lenders such as you know Fannie and Freddie requiring P and I reserves upfront, and that was in their mind to basically just say, hey, we are going to take money upfront um, to hold an escrow to cover any sort of um, you know things that may come up in the future. And so we were seeing, uh, I would say about six months ago, 12 months to even 18 months, uh, P&I reserves acquired upfront from those agency lenders. Uh, recently, they have been uh, improving and have been toning that back. So uh, what was once 12 months has now been shaved down to nine months or even six or even no P&I reserves in certain scenarios. So um, slowly but surely, we are seeing the the reserve requirements that once existed last year to uh, to loosen up and and start to go away. And you know, every single day, uh, we are getting updates from you know banks and and agency lenders, letting us know what changes there are to their reserve requirements. And so, um, you know, there there really is no one formula for every deal, but you know, there are a few boxes you can check and a few you know metrics you can always go by based on via the details of a deal. And, um, you know, there are certain qualifications that certain properties can get that would require no P&I reserves. And that would be dependent upon, again, location, strength of income, leverage points, um, you know, debt service coverage, whatever the, the deal is, it could um, you know, come with some sort of reserves or qualify for an exception and not have any reserve required. That would be more so on the agency side. Um, over the past six months to a year, we haven't seen um, banks or credit unions require a whole lot of reserves, um, and that's in you know long-term stabilized types of transactions. Um, it would be different, obviously, for value-add or construction projects, but um, when it comes to talking stabilized long-term five, seven, ten-year terms, um, you know, really banks and credit unions have loosened up and have been a bit ahead of the curve in, in terms of not requiring reserves, whereas Fannie and Freddie still do have those those minor requirements, but again on a day-by-day basis, have been loosening them up um, ever so slightly. Okay. And and uh, you and I had a conversation a while back about packages. You know, I think this is one, and this probably will be a good question for all three of you, which is what is, what is the best package or how can somebody position their property and themselves in the best light in order to get the financing that they're looking to, uh, uh, to accomplish? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll go ahead and then briefly, from my point of view, what I'm seeing, um, how lenders have been looking at certain packages. I mean, every the, the main focuses right now um, have, or now and always have been consistency of income, um, now and in the future. So lenders right now are even placing more emphasis than ever on borrower strength and also experience. So when we put a package together um, for a transaction to send out to a lender, whether it be a credit union or a bank or even a private lender like Seattle Funding, we want to make sure that we are highlighting the strengths of every single deal. Because again, our value as an intermediary is really understanding what lenders like to see, what makes lender confidence in getting a deal done and being able to highlight the strengths of every deal. So whether it be borrower liquidity, whether it be experience, uh, location of a property, kind of packaging all that into one understandable, distinct package to show a lender, hey, this is the strength of property, this is the COVID story, and this is how the property has been performing over the past 12 months. And we have found ourselves building in a COVID section uh, in every package that we do to basically... or I would say simply outline exactly what sort of impact a property has had um, due to the past 12 months, whether it be a mom and pop you know, business receiving PPP and restructuring their lease in a neighborhood retail center, or you know slightly higher than normal vacancies at an apartment building um, in downtown Seattle, for example. So, you know, now and I guess I would say for the foreseeable future, we are going to be continuing to include a a COVID impact section just to, you know outline that ahead of time and address it because we know that it will be something that lenders do ask ahead of time for for nearly every transaction that we do see from from here until you know i would say at least the next six months to a year yeah it's it's interesting you say that on the COVID site because i i have a property up in bothell that i'm um, getting ready to finalize the psa on and it's a retail development and instead of having one building we're talking about splitting it into three so we can have in caps and bigger patios um, 
that would allow for if there is something like this again uh, for the outdoor seating and just more space uh, in between the uh, the retail locations. Um, so definitely, uh, definitely the COVID has an impact on there. Um, the the other thing that you and I talked about before, which I think is key to bring up when you're trying to get financing, is a bio. I've never written a finance bio where you want to be able to show if the lender, whether it's at Daniels at Sound or if it's at Seattle Funding or anywhere else, is who is the borrower a little more succinctly around financing and the you know the the background of what they've accomplished. Uh, you know whether it's borrowing a certain amount of money and paying it off, but kind of that a little more than the credit history. So. Um, I think, I think that's another good tip that you provided on the last one we did. Um, and John, I'm going to, on that same vein of, of packages, I know, cause you guys, um, you move quickly, but you still are extremely detailed. And I know that you, your packages that you ask for and look to achieve, especially on construction is, is, is filled out correctly. Is there any tips or how would you, suggest somebody who's looking to come to Seattle Funding Group to, to borrow some funds on a, on a new project? Uh, what type of package do you want to see or what, what would you like to uh, have presented? That's a good question. Nick, I like what you had to say. I'm going to hitchhike a little bit on that too about quality of the borrower. It's interesting. We got credit scores and such. And I always know when I'm dealing with a residential mortgage broker because they, they tell you the credit score, but not much else because <laughs> they're used to that being the only thing that matters. Yeah. Um, and also I look at it and say, okay, that, that, that tells me that, that, that he's paid his bills, he or she. But I'd like a little bit more about who they are and what their plan is and, um, and, and what their history is. And so what, what, to get the nod, this is the way I describe it to people. Five minutes on the phone will save you five days fooling around. So just talk to us for five minutes on the phone. If we, I talk, if we can talk around the clock, talk around the deal, what are you doing? What do you want to do? I ask a few questions. Uh, what's your strategy? What's your profit motive? And we can go all the way around to the point where it makes sense in a circle. I can say, you know what? That's a deal we can do. I think we can paper that. And then we would just talk, you know, what leverage levels you might need and, and pricing and all that stuff. We can get that done quickly. But if somewhere around that dialogue, that story of what you're trying to accomplish, we find errors um, or things that aren't going to quite work, like getting into it and realize they don't want to put any of their own money into it, or they want you to buy into a, to a valuation that's going to be hard to measure or, or something exotic or whatever it might be then we know that deal's probably, there's no reason to push paper back and forth. It's not going to go very far. And, and we'll refer them to somebody that we think might system. If it's if it doesn't have the elements of a deal, we'll try to gently explain why quickly and move and, and, and thank them and move on. If it does get to the point where it's a construction loan to answer your question, Derek, we have a whole construction department in our company. And, and what's really interesting, what I've learned, because I learn every day, obviously, like we all do, is that builders, we have builders have used us 40, 50, 60, 70 times, and they just keep coming back and time and time again, because once they get the system down, they, they love it. Uh, but but it, it is that Jim McBride is an example. One of our, he's our construction manager, been with us for over 20 years. He can tell us quickly whether this builder is a real good builder or not. It's really interesting. You can tell by how organized they are, how responsive they are. So if you're a builder out there or want to be a builder out there, you've, you and I'm sure that, that Daniel would say the same thing, and Nick, you'd probably say the same thing. Come across organized, uh, uh, be prepared to, to answer the stuff in, in writing. There'll be some things you're going to have to show, line items, budgets, and things like that. you got to be good at that because that's a big part of the skill of being a builder. Homes or, or buildings don't just miraculously appear. There's a process, and it can happen quickly and swiftly with the right lender, but you at least on your end has to have support. So some of our builders that don't have any back office support, we can always tell because we get a little bit of stuff on the weekend, but we don't get day when they're working right um, and and so try to get a little bit of support if you can if that's what you need but recognize the importance because you're being partially judged by how re relatively quickly smoothly and organized you have access to the information that's being requested if it takes you two weeks to get something very simple we realize you might be a little bit scattered and it doesn't mean your deal is not going to work it just means it tells us okay okay um, this person is um, you know probably could improve their organization skills so um, it's not so much what we need, it's, it's, it's how easy it is to, to the, the borrower or the builder delivers that information to us in a fluid motion. We can, we can tell whether this deal is going to be smooth or whether it's going to be a little bit rocky. Lastly, to say is that sometimes a builder or a borrower, in some cases, how fast can we close? Because we're known as a speed, limber, speed lender. And we always say probably faster than the borrower will be ready. It's how fast can the borrower get us some of the information. There's some key pieces we do need. Um, they're having access to that and being responsive to your lender is a big part, bigger part than people might expect of the lender, lender approval process. 
Yeah. No, I, I, I know from my own experience, when I first started doing deals many years ago, you know, you walk in with just the, the deal in hand and then, and then you're building it as you go versus, you know, having the package ready to go and showing up with all the detail there. Um, and, and it goes a long way because they're going to lend you the funds to do this project. And, and I started using, especially on the Seattle funding group side, instead of getting additional investor dollars, you know, I was making more money. I, I didn't want to give any more equity. So the yeah. ability to use the, you know, dollars from like Seattle funding group or, you know, another loan from, you know, sound, you know, allowed me to keep more equity. And, um, and I think that's kind of, yeah, your debt capital is your equity capital, right? So if you get a deal from yeah. Dan, Nick, like it's like us, um, you know that's going to be the best capital you can get. Uh, equity capital is going to be a little more expensive. But the only last thing I wanted to say, and I don't want to dominate this, but I just want to say it's one thing is that it all starts. You don't have to be organized before you call us. Just dialogue the conversation. Hey, this is it's just a straightforward like we're having now. What do you want to do? What are you trying? <clears throat> what are you thinking? Why do you like the property? What's your goal? I see. Where's the profit going to be made for you? We want to make sure they're going to win. And once we can understand the whole story, say, yeah, okay, that makes some sense. And then you might have to come back with a little more organized stuff if we ask for it. But but I'm just saying, once you're really, really, really ready, it's nice to have the stuff available as as it's requested. And and I'm going to stick with you, John, on this one. Uh, and I'm going to go around the horn with the same the same question: is what kind of what kind of deals are you seeing currently? And what's hitting the desk down in California? In, in Arizona and in Washington, is there different asset classes that you're seeing pick up? Is it still multifamily? That's all we hear about. I mean, what, what are you seeing? Well, okay, I'm going to take 2019 and then juxtapose it to 2020 a little bit. 2019, we did a lot of small apartment conversions. Some really smart guys uh, in, 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 in different parts of the country and the West Coast. I could think of some in Scottsdale, some up here, um, and they they're buying apartment buildings, smaller buildings, right? Uh, 80s built, 90s built. Uh, they there may be pick a number. It might be prime ten unit building. It might be um, a fifty unit building. And they just plan on reskinning, resurfacing, and rebranding the product. Rebranding, I mean, it's different signages, different name, nice, better lighting, better maybe some cameras to make people feel safer. Just maybe put some washer and dryers in the units rather than outside of the units. That kind of stuff. And then once the project completely rebranded, they put it back on the market and the profit they're making is extraordinary. Or they'll go back to a Nick or a Daniel and get it refinanced and hold it for the long term. Um, and, and I'm a little envious and, 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 and sometimes because we watch it happen and they'll come to us for that. And, and I, I shake our head. And I'm just very proud to be a part of what they're doing. We saw a lot of that. In 2020, there's a malaise that took place. Nobody knew exactly what was going to happen. And so it seemed that everybody just kind of paused and some of our best borrowers seem to go on vacations or relax or just sit back and watch. So our 2020 loan volume was lower than I would have expected. And then towards the end of 2020, we started seeing people saying, okay, we know what's coming. This is going to, we're going to get through all this. And so people started seizing, that's happening today, seizing opportunity. I'm going to buy that property, but I got to close in two weeks. There's seven offers. I'm going to give you a quick example because examples are good. Uh, a gentleman called us up, very smart, very skilled. He's buying a Queen Anne unit. It, it, from the pictures of it, it looks like it's a 40-unit building, but they're just 10 really large units with a penthouse and a rooftop deck. And I meet them there tomorrow at 8 o'clock. And they submitted an offer on the property, but there was like eight or nine other offers. And so they submitted it with a letter that, that I, we wrote for them after looking at their financials and looking at the property real quick. It takes a day to do that. It's called a letter of qualification for a quick close. And they submitted that letter from us, backing them up for a two-week closing. And, and so with their offer, and they got the deal because of that. And so I'm going to look at the property again tomorrow. Um, uh, the bar was strong, wonderful, very skilled, putting probably 35, 40% down. So I, I feel very comfortable with our position. But that's the kind of stuff I'm seeing now in 2021, where it's there's five or six or 10 other bidders, and one needs to stand out. The best way to stand out is deal certainty for the seller or and speed. You put those two elements together. And, uh, and and borrowers are, and buyers are, are getting the deal that they may have missed otherwise. And then they're going to fix it, do something, add value and refinance long term through, you know, people like uh, Nick or, or Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great strategy. Um, I know there's a lot of competitive bidding, especially around here in the core Puget Sound um, that, uh, you know, trying to get deals, quote unquote yeah. deals. It's hard for us old guys that have been in the, in the market here for 20 plus years because you, you, you remember what it used to be just a short while ago yeah. and, uh, and, and, and trying to find that, uh, you know, those, those opportunities, um, value add opportunities. And, you know, I primarily do retail, so I'm looking for that corner location value add, 
Um, wow. But you know, I'm, 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 it's hard to find in the, in the core Puget Sound. Um, Nick, I'm going to ask you the same question. I mean, I mean, I know, I mean, I know you and I, I mean, I sent you over the golf course. I, you, I've sent you, you know, I promised to send you some things that are more closable um, besides, <laughs> besides just the hair. Um, but uh, I mean, what are you seeing from, you know, the stuff that you and Patrick are, are, are bringing in? I mean, are you, are you seeing primarily multifamily or are you seeing other types of assets picking up? You know, well, well, first I'll say we, we always appreciate an opportunity to to work with you, Derek. So don't don't feel bad if if a deal doesn't work out every once in a while. I mean, that's kind of the nature of the business. But um, you know, what I will say, kind of going off of what what John was talking about, was you know, last year was a very up and down year. And um, on my side of the fence, thankfully, due to the fact that you know rates were were accommodating a very liquid market, um, our you know our business mainly consisted of refinancings, um, low rates long-term refinances of, of high quality buildings or, uh, you know, high performing asset classes, uh, late last year where, you know, lenders could be comfortable with. So what, what I mean by that is it was mainly consisting of long-term, um, that being placed on multifamily properties, um, in good areas, good markets, whether it be Seattle, um, Phoenix, Tucson, and also, other types of strong properties that lenders had confidence in. And so that would also include industrial type properties with, with long-term leases in place or single tenant buildings with, with 10 year leases guaranteed by a corporation, right? The, there was difficulty in, in locating refinance debt or acquisition debt for, for neighborhood shopping centers or um, some of your mom and pop offices or retail centers. But, you know, over time we have seen that improve and, and the market has opened up. Um, over the past few months, but uh, no, right now I would say that uh, with the the value adding instruction market um, having been paused almost all of last year because it was difficult to underwrite pro forma rents and pro forma values in a market with so much uncertainty. So that's where we saw a lot of a lot of private lenders, high leverage debt, uh, value add lenders uh, kind of slow down a bit because um, you know value add and bridge lending is based off of. Uh, improving a property and underwriting future rents or future values. So, um, what had what was mainly a market of long-term fixed-rate refinances or acquisitions of strong properties, we have seen opportunities start to bloom and open up again um, for that type of value-add uh, lending opportunity. Right. So, whether it be multifamily or you know, maybe older office or retail buildings that could use a bit uh, a bit of work to to increase rents or increase lease um, you know lease terms uh, that's uh, that has opened up the door for for value add lenders higher leverage bridge lenders or um, you know private money that uh, that is able to accommodate both an acquisition and high leverage but also give renovation funds because now the the markets have become a bit more understandable in terms of underwriting where where values are going where rents are going and um, has given leeway to to investors wanting to to go in and improve properties again for that upside potential. Um, there is still you know, a lot of refinancing going on right now because rates are still low by by historical standards. Um, but since rates have kind of bounced off the bottom, as I would say, over the past few months, um, you're seeing a lot more acquisition or um, I would say opportunity-based lending uh, happen right now with investors trying to go into into good markets that have long-term potential um, and improve property values. And, and speaking of rates, I, mean, we're, I know you do a lot of research. Um, what do you see in and and when you look at the tea leaves, what's kind of the the benchmark or predictability if there is such a thing over the next you know 12 months uh, of rates themselves? Or you think they're going to kind of hover around where they are or is there a anticipation of a spike or? You know, from, from our conversations, again, I mean, we, we try to stay as apprised as possible with, you know, with the lending market. And that involves spending an hour or two a day um, on the phone with lenders every single morning to understand what's happening, where rates are going. And, you know, from our conversations right now, if we're, if we're talking stabilized debt, um, you know, bank or credit union financing, or even fixed rate private money, uh, we're expecting rates to uh, pretty much stay around where they are right now. Um, there really are no fundamental uh, or fundamentals that are suggesting rates are going to be shooting up uh, in the near term. Um, you know, we obviously had, again, like I said, a, a bounce off the bottom, but 
um, you know, there always is a chance rates could go back up or, you know, tone down a bit. But everything that I'm seeing right now from our conversations with, with our lending relationships is the fact that rates are going to be stable around where they are right now for the foreseeable future. Um, but again, anything can happen in this marketplace as we saw last year. So um, obviously we, we want to make sure we, we want to hope that rates can stay stable and, and remain relatively low because again, that helps, you know, us, it helps our lenders and, and also, still encourages opportunity for uh for investors in this marketplace yeah yeah no i i i mean it's 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 hard with where the rates are um you know one one hand you're talking to people and they're saying hey you gotta refinance this and the other is just saying you don't have to be in that big a hurry get it more stabilized redo a couple leases um and make the package stronger so you can get a better rate right i mean that's kind of the 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 feedback that i'm getting um and, and Daniel, uh, from the from your bank's perspective, and I, and, uh, I know from the lending side, of my borrowings with you. Um, I mean, obviously the rates are extremely competitive, as with other community banks. Um, what 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 kind of? I'd love to hear what what's credit telling you. I mean, what what are you? Are they saying, hey, we're being extremely cautious, or they're saying, hey, we're flush with cash. Let's find some opportunities that fit our criteria, and we can do a great rate on it. I mean, what's what's kind of the I guess give us some internal secret sauce. <laughs> well, I guess I can say that you know, as a, a, a community bank of just shy of a billion dollars, we're not really a market influencer on rates. So we are just trying to remain competitive with what else uh, is being offered out there. I am seeing you know a lot of the larger banks offer those teaser rates, which has always been kind of a a hitch uh, of what they're offering and then what they're closing at. So we do have people coming in with not term sheets, but just discussions on email or verbal discussions of rates um, and terms that uh, that don't come out to be true in the end. Um, I know a lot of the banks are well capitalized. They're trying to deploy liquidity as quick as possible. Um, so, you know, a low rate uh, is better than it just sitting um, at an interest rate. So I know that a lot of banks are looking to deploy. I know that the rates that I'm seeing out there are extremely competitive. Um, for term financing. Uh, the construction financing rates of, you know, most banks are at prime-based, um, so it's just the margin that they're looking at and the fee is where we're trying to be competitive. But I don't know of another bank that doesn't, that is not trying to deploy capital as quick as they can. Um, so it's, it's just a matter of what rate you quote and how quickly you can actually firm that up into a term sheet. Now, are there any asset classes that the bank's kind of shine away from or like office or i mean what what what's the feeling on office uh for you guys as as a lender and i'll start with you daniel um that's that's a it's a big unknown it really is um we never really historically had a lot of the office space due to our lending capacity and our bank size so that's not something that i can say that i've had a lot of experience on um i know you know it, it, it makes perfect sense to say retail is a tough, tough market right now, especially strip retail is a very tough uh, facility to try to get closed to not knowing what the future is going to look like. Yeah. How about you, John? When uh, any, uh, any office products, um, any, any, any asset class that people are bringing into any of the offices and you're going, Oh, let's really take a, a hard look at this versus the others. Uh, you know, we, we as, as a niche-based speed lender, you know, we're going to get a lot of things thrown at us. But I, I would say the one that we hesitated the most on is hospitality for two reasons. We always felt that hospitality was so driven by the operations. And so whoever the operator was is going to have a big play on value. And that's a little bit out of our control to some degree. So hospitality, we've always been, we've done actually a reasonable amount of it in the past. But during the pandemic, naturally, we, we shied away from that. Um, we, we took a closer and leaned in a little closer to um, some of the retail of its relevant retail and good locations. We still found um, uh, takeout retail uh, still did fine. You know, small loca uh, small strip centers that 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 uh, were well located and and uh, had neighborhood commercial. That we we uh, we did okay with that. So we we took a little closer look and made sure the operators the, the, and the owners had a little extra liquidity that we'd like to make sure they have some liquidity to. to to get through challenging times, but um, but I, I would say hospitality is 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 the one that we looked at uh, and turned away the most probably throughout the year. We, and, and much like Danny, we haven't gotten a lot of um, 
office space. We used to get a lot of calls in Texas for office space and stuff. So uh, we didn't do much there. So we don't really have a large uh, portfolio office, um, probably more retail than some people might expect, but we've had good success. We haven't had any problems really. Um, and so, but hospitality, we've, we've kind of haven't done much of that. We've, we've stayed away from it, frankly, but we, we'll, we'll look at it again, but not at the leverage level. Some people are requesting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it really just comes down to leverage, right? I mean, if someone's going to go 40% yeah. loan to value, yeah, 50% loan to value. Yeah. Yeah. See, the, the difference um, is that there's a great value in traditional lenders because everybody's chasing the 3% rate right now and they're getting the attention and they should. Uh, I'm chasing it in some of my properties. So that, that's 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 fantastic. But with us, we can say yes whenever we really want to. So we're not stuck on anything. And if we think that we're in good shape, and we'll make it on any any asset class that, that you know, that we think if the LTV is appropriate and the story is appropriate, absolutely. Give us 30, 40% on something. Sure, you're gonna get you're gonna get a nod why we're even talking to you on the phone. Uh, but 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 pushing leverage is the asset class we stayed away from the most was uh, hospitality. Well, and, and it seems like when you know when we went through 08 and uh and oh nine that time frame and there was so much high leverage. Yeah. Um I, I don't get that sense. And, and I mean, I'll, I'll start out with you, Nick. I mean, what, what do you, I mean, are you seeing any high leverage deals getting done or are they still staying in that 50 to 65% LTVs? Well, I mean, um, of course my, my first response will be, it, it is really dependent on the, the type of deal. Um, again, the main things are going to be location type of, uh, type of asset, uh, strength of the borrower and, uh, you know, really the, the, the complete package of what the deal is. So uh, when it comes to high leverage, I know that whenever we have a borrower that comes to us saying we want to maximize leverage, those two words aren't necessarily something that that our lenders like to hear at this point in the market. So, um, but it really comes down to the type of property and type of project, right? So um, the the type of leverage and amount of leverage a property can really sustain is is really going to be limited to the the NOI of that property, right? Whether it be a multifamily property, neighborhood retail center, single tenant property, the amount of leverage that that the property can get will be determined by how well the property's income covers the the annual mortgage payment, right? So that is one thing that we have seen be the the main limiting factor in how much you know, how many loan dollars uh, a deal can get is the the debt service coverage ratio and whether it be the DCSR uh, debt service coverage right now or the projected um, you know, coverage in the future after improvements are made. So, um, but when it comes to certain types of deals, for example, we've, we've done high leverage uh, acquisitions. Uh, again, like I mentioned before, there are bridge lenders or private money lenders that are now coming back into play that can offer um, you know, higher leverage. And when I say that, I'm talking maybe 75 to 80, even upwards to 85% loan to value on acquisitions. Um, but again, that's going to be your short term, a little bit higher interest um, you know, type of financing for, for strong properties that have upside potential. Uh, one recently we did was a, a value add transaction uh, in Tempe. Um, it was a multifamily building and uh, we were able to, to get a lender that was uh, going to give us or was able to give us upwards to 80% of the acquisition pl- uh, price plus uh, renovations. But again, the, the strength of the deal spoke for itself. Um, the borrower we represented had a great deal. The seller was offering a phenomenal price, and it was really, um, uh, it was a, I guess, would say a very down the middle transaction for for Leonard to to offer that uh, that kind of leverage on. But um, that's not saying that's going to be available for every asset class. So really, every scenario is different. Um, you know, the the more stabilized products we're seeing right now are are really getting up to, you know, I would say, maximizing around seventy. Um, sometimes 75%, but uh, at the end of the day, it, it all comes down to the income and how well it covers the debt. And um, and that's you know what will determine how much leverage a property can sustain and, and get on an acquisition or a refinance. Yeah. Well, it, it definitely seems like there's a fair amount of capital in any aspect, whether it's getting, you know, private lending, um, local banking, or going to one of the large, you know, uh, insurance groups or things like that but the leverage isn't there to where we'd have another meltdown like we had in 08. I mean, you keep seeing the news around office and what's going to happen with office, but it seems like it's the large holders in the large office properties that are, that are, um, 
I wouldn't say having issues, but they're kind of watching them more closely than this, the, the small, you know, 25, 40, 50,000 square foot office building um, in the in the core marketplaces. And industrial, we didn't even talk about industrial. I mean, uh, the industrial market, especially around here, I mean, it's it's going, it, it, there's so much money that would give you, multifamily industrial seem to be the two things that when I talk to any lender, they're more than happy to hear it. It's just retail and office are still a little, you know, hesitant. If it's owner user, no problem. But if it's going to be investment, then it's it definitely uh, got to have a real good story and track record. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Uh, so I'm going to kind of kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about strategies. You know, what? And, I, and I'm going to start with you, John. From the clients that you've worked with over the years, what are you seeing in today's times being good? real estate investment strategies? Um, the clients that have come to you borrowed and, and they just knock, knock the cover off. Is there, is it, is it the multifamily, is it the townhome? Is it the, um, I don't know, small industrial park? I mean, do you have any, in today's markets, what are you seeing um, do well? Well, aside from builders, merchant builders who are building to sell have done very, very well. <clears throat> they keep coming back and doing it again and again. Um, they get through the project quicker. And uh, they sell and, and, and take advantage of it. I, I, some of the guys that I've seen, I say guys because the ones I'm thinking about are guys uh, uh, that have done quite well is they're, they're buying strategic properties and just have they have a it's like buying a growth stock. And some of the locations they're buying, they're accepting a little bit low caps, but they're seizing the opportunity. I think Nick talked about NOI uh, dictating your, L, your your leverage level. With us, that's not the case. Extreme uh, to completely. Uh, it, we look at the NOI as is a direction of value. But a lot of times these guys are, are raising that NOI and that's part of our lending strategy. So we'll loan, pick a number, 70, 75%, whatever it is of current asset price. And we'll do some sort of distribution to them as they uh, repurpose the building or retenant the building with better leases or rents or whatever it might be to get their NOI up. And then they used to have a plan of, of going back to traditional lender and refinancing it and holding it for the long term. And they find themselves um, with a cash flow, although maybe it's three, four, five, five, six percent cash on cash. I, I'm not sure exactly. I think probably five or six percent on some of these, and they just hold it for the long run. And uh, they felt build themselves a pretty good portfolio. We've seen quite a bit of that. I, I mentioned before the borrowers who are repurposing, not repurposing, reskinning and rebranding apartments. I've seen them do so well. Um, yeah, I've even had some of them that have bought a large warehouse facility and broke it into condo. They kind of minimized it in some fashion and broke it into pieces and sold it in, in uh, 10,000 square foot warehouses from 40 and done have done very well with that. And we do releases as they as they release each piece. As some lenders, that can be a hard thing to do, to buy 40,000 and break it into to 10, uh, four 10,000 square foot pieces and then release them. That's one benefit that we we offer the borrower and I've seen them do quite well. So it, it's, it's just, it's taking, and in this market, you just had to take action, quite frankly. But the market was so forgiving, you had to take action and everybody's a genius in a bull market. And and, uh, and that's what I've seen to some of these builders and some of these uh, real estate investors, but I, I, I applaud their action. Um, mo- many of them have not been through the 2007, 2008, 2009 crisis that some of us have been through. And so, and sometimes that's a good thing uh, because they, they, they don't have that painful experience in their mind and they just take action. And action was yeah. the winner in the last few years, so. Yeah. And, and do you, uh, are there are there certain geographic areas that you're uh, that that you're seeing kind of more activity or that that's starting to get active? Older out of Hawaii that we've done, I'm going to say 20 deals with. He, I'm not. This is unbelievable. I can't even. He buys fantastic lots in great locations and builds. And the profit margins of a builder usually think is between 10 and 20 percent upon resale. This guy's making 50 percent. He's and, and Matthew McConaughey bought his last house for 8.5 million dollars. We modeled it out at six million. We lent him, I don't know, I think we lent him four or 3.8, I think is what our loan was, 3.8. And uh, we modeled it out as a six and, and uh, he ends up selling for eight and a half. Now you, you you do the math on that. You don't have to do that many. And he just, he's doing, with us, he probably does six a year like that. And it's, it's and he just keeps using us and he's got a lot of his own money, but he likes he likes liquidity. And so uh, for the speed and simplicity of getting things done, he doesn't have as that many questions to ask. Sometimes when you get into higher end luxury homes, I, I, it seems to be a lot of lenders fade a little bit and we, we lean into that stuff because that's what we've been doing for 30 years. So we like it. 
Um, and so we found a good marriage with this guy in, in, in Hawaii. So, we, so that's a, that's one example. And then in Scottsdale apartment guys that I know of, of, that have done very well. Um, so anyway, and, and in California too, uh, no question, but California is filled with that. It's, 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 um, a lot of lenders in California and, and a lot of builders, and a lot of wannabe builders. So you got to watch out. <laughs> but, um, well, I, I thought. I thought you were just doing the Hawaii ones so you can get out there, but you're actually making money there too. <laughs> the guy's making money. In fact, what we did, we I said, well, I got equity participate with you on some of these deals, right? <laughs> <laughs> so as a lender, so we do that from time to time. Um, and, and, and it's been good. Not, you know, we don't take 50% or anything, but we'll take a, a 10% kicker and we'll give them some of our own equity capital uh, to, 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 you know, to go in on with them. So we've, you know, all lenders have those relationships sometimes that they, 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 that work out well for him. That's one of them. Um, but but yeah. he's an example of, of, of the right guy at the right time, the right location, and everything's working. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's great when that, it, what is the old, when, love it when a plan comes together? Yeah. Um, and, and, and Nick, I know you do uh, a lot of things on the West Coast, and are, you, are there any pockets or any markets that you're seeing kind of picking up, or where if somebody on, you know, listens to this and goes, gosh, I never really thought about, you know, research in, I don't know, uh, Missoula or, you know, uh, Bozeman. Um, are you seeing anything like that? Are there any markets that, uh, you see on your radar that are, are picking up? Well, yeah, I mean, so right now we have seen a lot of interest from, from investors and lenders go towards, uh, I would say more so secondary markets. And so when I say secondary, uh, I would say, uh, good size cities or good size areas, but may not be, close to a major metro. So for example, um, you know, Tacoma is one that has seen a lot of activity recently. Also, Tucson, Arizona um, has seen a tremendous amount of activity right now. So um, where there is still, um, for lack of a better term, meat on the bone for, for investors to go in and, and recognize good metrics, um, good fundamentals for an economy, they will, you know, lenders will follow essentially. So as long as the, you know, employment growth, income growth, and and rent growth prospects for uh, for a city are there and are continuing to increase. Um, lenders will go because that provides security for for debt. And so, um, you know, as John was talking about, uh, the the darlings of the the lending industry right now have and have been for a while multifamily and industrial. Um, a couple of the other trends that we are seeing right now um, are built rent communities. We have seen lenders enter that space and become very aggressive on. On developers who are building, um, say, a collection of 50, 100 homes that are going to be built for rent, because just based off the the metrics of our economy right now and where market forces are going, that is proving to be a very successful endeavor. Also, um, along those lines is motel or hotel to multifamily conversions because of where the housing market is right now, both in Washington and Arizona. Um, and where the hospitality market is right now, that has become a common theme and an opportunity for seasoned and experienced developers who are are going in and redeveloping old or you know seasoned multi-fam uh, hotel properties or motel properties and converting them into sustainable uh, multi-family for for middle to low-income housing prospects, which has been you know a huge success from what we've seen, um, and again has attracted a lot of interest from uh, from lenders who are willing to go into those markets and and provide financing. So um, we've also noticed that Sunbelt markets right now are are obviously attractive and have attracted a lot of capital as well, because again, just those underlying metrics of increased population growth, people that may be coming from the West or um, from the East Coast or Northwest or Midwest to um, say Arizona or, or Texas or you know, even Nevada, um, you know, have increased rents, have moved income up, have increased prospects for employment, and then therefore that has uh, appreciated property values, increased rents, and and where rents are increasing and shown to be increasing, that's where lenders like to be because it provides security and uh, and capital will definitely be uh, be available uh, or plentiful, I would say, for for some time. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've seen a fair amount of those manufactured home parks um, getting a lot of funding. Um, when you mentioned that, you know, build the rent strategy of the single family home um, in certain park marketplaces throughout the, you know, the, the Southeast, especially um, seeing those kind of kind of picking up as a strategy. Um, well, I guess I guess the, the 
the takeaway is there's plenty of money out there and no one's really turning off the spigot. So there's opportunities to be had. It's just, you know, finding the opportunities and finding what fits for you as a borrower. Um, And, and I think that's, that's kind of the, I guess the underlying theme. And, and I know, I mean, I got my second vaccine shot yesterday and I think everyone's kind of going through that whole vaccination piece, you know, and everyone's kind of looking forward to, uh, to getting back into, you know, quote unquote normalcy. Um, Now I think I'll always wear my mask on an airplane. I just will, you know, that unless I'm, uh, you know, having a cold beverage or uh, eating something, but, I, I, I think of all the times I've flown overseas and didn't wear a mask, I probably should have because you get to the other side and you're feeling a little, a uh, little sick. Yeah. I think that's going to, I think that's going to, it's going to be interesting to see. I don't mean to jump in, but I, I agree. I think it's going to be interesting to see on a side note, just how many people, how, how much masks are going to be here to stay, not to the level, obviously now, no way, but I mean, just in, if somebody has a cold, perhaps they'll wear a mask, uh, for, you know, at certain points they're getting on a bus or they're getting on something like that. Just out of courtesy to everybody else. Um, We'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not yeah. trying to everybody wear a mask all the time. I'm just trying to, I'm just kind of curious how that works out. Plain yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, this is a, the, the, the time in the, uh, the, the, the show where I kind of open it up to, if there's any questions and I'll ask Shane if any questions came in. And if not, then we'll go into kind of the closing thoughts from each of you. Yeah. I don't have any questions at this time, Derek. Well, Shane, do you have a question you'd like to ask the panel? Uh, no, I think I'm good. No, uh, Shane, you're not. Come on, man. You have a question. <laughs> yeah. This is a one-time year. This is a one-time year. Kind of, you're, you're still catching your breath from the beginning. I get it. Um, I know. I, well, exactly. <laughs> well, it's, well, I'm going to start with you, Daniel. Kind of, uh, you know, closing thoughts around financing going into 2021 and, and uh, anything that uh, – a prospective uh, borrower should keep in mind? Well, I think that uh, you stated it pretty clearly just a moment ago. It's a good time to be a borrower. There is capital out there. There is, uh, I, you know, like I mentioned, I don't think there's a financial institution out there that's not looking to grow and deploy capital. Um, the, the harken back to an earlier topic, I think that you need to be prepared, um, have an understanding of the basics when you put a package across, have a performa. A lot of people focus on the front part of the project, um, how it's going to get built, what it's going to get cost, what's it going to cost to be built, and spend a little more time on how what the exit strategy is, what the performa looks like, how is how are you going to exit the construction facility to long term. I think a lot of borrowers look at that to see how are they going to get repaid and be able to move forward to their next project. But like you said, it's, a, it's an interesting time. It's a it's a good time to be a borrower, um, and uh, I would I, I just think that the outlook um, is positive all the way around moving into 2022. Yeah, good thoughts. How about you, uh, Nick? Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say that the the lending market is is constantly evolving, and so that's why it's it's always extremely important to, to remain apprised as to, to what's happening uh, amongst all lending sources, whether it be private capital, uh, bridge funds, or private money versus um, you know how credit unions or banks are looking at certain types of commercial real estate assets and lending opportunities. Um, and uh, as John was mentioning earlier, um, the importance of, of being organized and the importance of, of having a succinct and well-thought-out loan package so that when you go to a lender, they can either have a conversation with you or look at a loan package, understand the the key points of a deal, the strengths of it, and and have confidence. Because we've seen, um, you know, we've worked with several developers, several clients in the past that, you know, they they knew how to find a great deal, they they had experience, they knew they were they knew how to build anything in the world. It just when it came to putting together a loan package, that's where they had to come to us to help them out and and get a bit organized because. Um, you know, sometimes you may think a deal speaks for itself, but in, if you present a, a transaction in the incorrect light, then, you know, it may turn a lender off from the get-go. So really, just the importance of being prepared, um, having a plan, um, you know, having a, a good bio of who you are and what you can do as a, as a borrower and what you have done, 
and and having a, a solid pro forma and budget and and business plan for for a property you're looking to either acquire or that you currently own, so that again lenders can fully understand what's happening, what you're looking to accomplish, and that they can um, give you a quick answer and give you some approval for uh, you know, for financing moving forward. Uh, and that's really, um, yeah, what I would say. And in the future, if if uh, if anybody does you know, need any help or, you know, has questions on what every aspect of the capital markets is doing, you know, we can obviously be that resource because we work with, with every lender, you know, every lender we consider our clients. So whether it be constructions, construction lenders, banks, credit unions, you name it, we, we work with and, and are up to date with on a day-to-day basis. So we can definitely help out and ask questions and answer questions. Perfect. Thanks, Nick. And, uh, and, and John, I'll, I'll round it out with you. Okay, two things. First of all, I'm, I, both Nick and Daniel like what you guys had to say about the packages and putting them together. I, I, um, a good broker, like Nick was saying, is really valuable because we're a lender. And when it gets organized and put together in a way that we can read through it and it's sensible, I think a good broker will cut out the, 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 the exaggeration. Sometimes a borrower will overly exaggerate things. They don't need to do that. Um, and a good broker will lay out and know what's relevant to the lender. And it's always nice when you have a, a good broker that has good client control and understanding. So um, don't don't d- diminish that. A, a good broker can be very very valuable. I, I one thing I wanted to summarize that I I had to do a lot of reflection on 2020 as we all did. Is what happened? <laughs> what what took place? And from a real estate perspective, I think from our lending perspective and buyer perspective, is that 2020 was kind of in a malaise. People didn't know, so everybody knew one thing: rates were low. And so they the most of the real estate market, in my experience, shifted. From acquisition and refurbishing and rehabbing, all that stuff, it seemed to shift to, well, we better refinance what we have to the lowest possible rate because rates have never been so low. And that's where people were paying their attention. And I could tell because probably about November, things started to change for us and it started getting busier and busier and busier. And now we're getting borrowers that are calling and say, I don't have time for long-term stuff. I got to get something done now. And so we're starting to see borrowers get more energized. And I'm, I, I want to fan the flames of that as, as our borrowers and entrepreneurs, real estate entrepreneurs out there, if you get more energized, You've got a lot, like Daniel was saying, you got a lot of good lenders out there willing to listen to your story. Um, I know Seattle Funding Group here is one of them. We'd love to hear it. And and uh, we're getting pretty creative to make some things happen because we're pretty bullish right now on the future uh, of the marketplace. And uh, so we're willing to put some money out and push our leverage a little bit if we need to be and uh, do some things creative to help, help real estate entrepreneurs because that's our lifeblood. And when they take action, we take action. And so um, I'm, I'm thinking 2021 will be back closer to 2019 where there was a little bit more um, entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial action and less of a malaise. That, that's that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. It seems to be happening now. Yeah, no, that's great. I I I I feel that as well in the, in my travels and you know being at NAI uh, Petertown Properties. You know we got 50 plus brokers hearing the stories every day from uh, investors and uh, and landlords. Yeah. Um, it's the same feeling. Everyone's feeling that. So. Um, but I, I do want to echo what you said about a broker fee. Um, you know, I haven't worked with Nick, uh, and I can't speak to other brokers because Nick's the only one I've worked with, but the, the help in putting together a real package to take to somebody like John or to Daniel that, that is actually laid out, it will save you money. Um, because you'll get, you will, you'll get a better rate. In my opinion, you get a better rate. Um, and, uh, and I've seen it done, you know, where, You've compared the two, and uh, and you, and you get a better opportunity, and and a, and a quicker close. Yeah, Derek, real quick, I was gonna say, and you get the att- lender's attention. I I, I wrote an yeah. article about how to get a lender's attention, and that is one of the issues to get their attention. Um, some of the emails we get that says, "Hey, will you do this?" and there's just some attachment. You open it up, and it's vague, and you don't know what's in it. And you're just like, "What are you trying to give me?" I get to 20 minutes on this thing to figure out what you want. What are you What are you asking for? And a well-written one will get the lender's attention quickly. And once you have a lender's attention. They don't want to let it go. They want to get that deal closed, or maybe it's not going to go. Let it go. But but uh, once you have a lender's attention, you got a good chance of making something happen. Yeah, can't, can't make a can't make a second first impression, right? <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely right. So, yeah. um, all right. Well, Shane, I'm going to let you close out. I want to thank the panel, uh, everybody, uh, uh, for participating, and uh, I, I appreciate knowing you as individuals, not just through business, but personally, and. Um, you know, it is a pleasure having you uh, on the podcast. And Shane, I'll let you uh, close it out. Sure. Right, thanks, Derek. You can register for upcoming events and access past. Yeah. Did you have something else, Derek?
Okay. You can register for upcoming events and access past presentation archives at www.realestateinvestment.training. On behalf of Derek, John, Nick, Daniel, Inland Securities, Seattle Funding Group, NAI Puget Sound Properties, Brighton Jones, Taylor Street Capital Partners, the Commercial Brokers Association, CCIM Institute of Washington Chapter, and the Institute of Real Estate Managers. Thank you all for your participation today, and we look forward to seeing you at our next event. Goodbye. Thank you.